You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is On Principle, Challenges in Jewish Education. Challenges sometimes we have as podcasters is when technical glitches arise and there's really no way to clear it up. That's the case in the recording you're about to hear. Um, because of difficulties that we were having in terms of connectivity, we had to switch to telephone mode. And the telephone mode that I was using um, ended up with a, a recording that it's garbled somewhat. You definitely cannot hear uh, it as clear as I would have wanted it to be heard. I actually, I, I could not get our guest, Rabbi Fraim Klatenik, who is a master educator, as you're going to hear, and who has an wonderful insights and important points to make about uh, what it takes to be a great teacher and especially a, a Gemara teacher, a Talmud teacher for elementary school students. I, it was impossible to re-record uh, and get it done. So I, I felt that it was worthwhile to retain the recording as is. I uh, apologize for the quality of mostly what I am as an interlocutor and uh, trying to steer the conversation, the part of what I was saying sounds a little bit grainy, but I think it's uh, intelligible enough. And if you make the effort to really hear it, I think you are going to very enjoy and learn something about the quality of what teaching is in even uh, in, in right-wing Haredi schools about what they expect from their Gemara Rabbeim, and um, it's 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 a, a, a it's a news story in the sense that it's people might not be aware of it, but it also is inspiring to hear someone who is so passionate about what they do and speaks about it in such an intelligent, uh, real way. So it's coming up right now, my conversation with Rabbi Ephraim Katanik. I, I think it's worthwhile to push your way through. Take care. Shalom. This is On Principle Challenges. And I have the close to be with the principal in the every sense of the word, my good friend, Rabbi Ephraim Katanik, who... Uh, Raced us last year. Thanks for the time. I know that uh, uh, it, it, it is precious for you. Uh, you're, you have not slowed down at all. Um, I want to talk to you about something which I think would be very important for our listeners to know, which is the qualities that go into making a successful elementary school Gamora ready. Um, Atolos Gemara, as it's called, I think it begins in many schools. I don't know if we're going to call them Haredi schools, but I guess we can. It probably starts around what age? Gemara learning begins in the fifth grade, about at the age of 10. And um, up, up, up until that point, most of the what we call the right wing or the Haredi schools, there is, of course, Mishnayas that has started, I think. Well, they start, day, right? they, they start with Chumash first, and then they work their way into Mishnayas. The Haredi schools, they begin Mishnayas in the third grade, 
and uh, they concentrate on uh, Seder Moed. And then in the fifth grade is where they have Haskalas Gemara. That's when they begin learning Gemara. So um, at that point, although they're familiar with certain elements of what Tarsha Valpeh is, it's really then that these 10-year-old children are really um, exposed and uh, really immersed into what is the most important part of their Ramude Kodesh uh, day, right? Um, Correct. By an average, how many hours a day in the Haredi school uh, is dedicated to Gemara learning? Uh, well, it's the first subject that's done. Let's say in our school, it's uh, anywhere, depending on the day, how much I think I can get in, anywhere from uh, an hour and a half to two hours of classroom time spent on Gemara. Right. Whereas the, the other subjects are about half that. Right? <clears throat> the other subjects then become minor. Which has been the major subject up until fifth grade becomes a minor subject that is not learned for more than uh, 45 minutes to an hour a day. I said it becomes so Gamora really becomes primary. And we know, of course, we're not, our audience, of course, knows, we all know that this is really the, uh, the test ground for what's going to be most of their high school learning and beyond. This Absolutely. It tests the centrality of learning Gemara, Tyrus and Alpeh. And, of course, we all know this. Now, but as, as, as you know, uh, spending so many years doing this, that um, although we want the students uh, to begin their mastery over what we consider not only Jewish law, but how to think like a Jew, how to live like a Jew eventually, completely and totally. Um, it, 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 the the instrument, although the, the product is tremendous, the product that has kept us alive, don't always have the best conveyors of that product. Despite the stellar qualities of those, those teachers in many other ways, right? to, to get the proper Gemara ready, get it to work, to get it for to make a difference in these 10, 11, 12, and 13-year-olds, there's certain qualities that you're looking for. Um, and, and what would those be, primarily? First of all, it has somebody who is a very good Balmazver. He can explain things clearly. A person could be the biggest Talmud Chacham, but if he can't explain something clearly to another individual or to a class, he's not going to be a good Rebbe. So there's a certain amount of this that's inborn. Uh, there's a certain amount of clarity in Asbara that a person can get from one's Rebbe, assuming you had a Rebbe who was very good at being a Baal's Mausber, and I had the good fortune of having Ravarin Salvechik Zatzal be my Rebbe, and he was a master at making things clear. But a certain amount of it also is inborn. It's a skill that either you have or you don't have. There are certain things that you can't be taught. For example, I have a talent for laning, but I don't have a talent for blowing chauffeur. Someone could show me all day long how to blow a chauffeur. I just can't do it. I wasn't born with that talent. Um, the same thing is true of teaching. If you have 
a certain talent for it, that talent could be polished through training. But if you just don't have it, then you might as well look for a different professional. Well, the, you, you, we, we call it the power of Hasbara. It's really the power to communicate ideas that you understand, but recognize where that person is coming from and using sometimes inventive methods, but knowing the mentality of who you're talking to and realizing the, the best possible uh, metaphors and ideas that can stoke the understanding in the person that is listening to you, right? So exactly. It's really a, a number of qualities. There's, of course, the complete understanding of the idea that you can break it down to its requisite parts. It's also realizing the person who's listening in front of you, the way they need to hear that information. Um, exactly. And that... So that is something that obviously we want to look at. We'll talk a little bit later about zeroing in on on the right people for that. But let's assume you have that person and you're able to uh, to, to sense that and see that in the person's intercommunication skills and the way they uh, uh, give over information. But about teaching Gemara, though, uh, and for it to be effective, there's got to be something more than that, right? And what, Correct. What, what comes Okay, so the first thing is that, as we all know, Gemara has no punctuation. When we read a book in English, you know, if there's a question mark, you know there's a question. If there's an exclamation point, we know that there's something being said with, with, a, with a lot of emotion, with a lot of excitement. Gemara has no punctuation. It's just a bunch of run-on words, one after the other. So there are key words, though that let us know what the Gemara is trying to say. If the Gemara says, Mesve, we know it's Akasha, right? If the Gemara says, Hachmayaskinon, uh, we know there's a Teretz coming up. If the Gemara says, Teda, we know that there's a proof coming up. So there are lists that I've made of all these common words that I call indicator words, which let the Talmud know what's coming next in the Gemara. And even within a certain category like questions, there are different types of questions, right? Mesve or Aceve is always a kashan or a mora from a source he can't argue with, like a Mishnah or a Brisa or a Pasuk. Maskif means a kasha from, from Svara, from logic. Ramini is a contradiction. If a Talmud knows that, then as soon as he begins a piece of Gemara, he can already focus his mind on what's coming up. Okay, I know it says, Ramini, there's a contradiction coming up. I know can I, I can expect there's either a Mishnah against a Brisa or two Brises together two against each other or a Mishnah against another Mishnah. He knows what's coming up. He knows what to expect. So that puts a Talmud at a great advantage in being able, being able to figure out a piece of Gemara. That's one step. I, I, want, I, I once heard... Uh a fellow from Eric Control compare this to road signs. In other words, you're on a, right, you have a green sign, you know you're on an interstate, right? So you realize right. how quickly you can go. If you have a, uh, a, a, a sign without color, you know you're on a state highway, so it's not going to have those type of exits. Similarly, uh, when you find yourself on this road and you seem <coughs> clueless, these are the road signs that tell right. you what's going on. And, and Brian, I know, I know that, you know, it's 
it was not usual for the way we were taught Gemara. But in Eretz Yisrael, you know that this is very common. These are called the milos, the manchiot, the exact yes. are called the indicator words, the words that guide you. And, and, and I think in many of these shivos in Eretz Yisrael, even the modern ones, they're, 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 it's, it's, it's almost become par for the course to to uh, drill this into students. But I think what, yes. you, what we're talking about here is is, uh, is is making sure that your Baal Masber Rebbe is able to work on those terms with the students, right? right. The Baal, the Rebbe who needs to be able to uh, to ensure, and I, and I, I would assume the best way to do it is you just jump in. Just like when you jump into a swimming pool might be the best way for the swimming teacher to then instruct, as opposed to a whole long list of things you need to know before you get into the pool. Once the, the students are really swimming in what looks to be like this soup of, like you say, run-on sentences, then the Rebbe can point out, as the kids are sort of like get acclimating themselves, where they are based on a Maysay, based on a Remenu, based on an Itmar, based on a Hachidimayaskinon. Would you right. agree? That that's, Absolutely. That's a good method? Absolutely. Not, yes, I, I agree. I, 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 I think it's, if you start with, like with a megaphone and you say, okay, these are the lists, these are the words you're going to see. The kids are, are it's, they're so, it's so alien starting at 10 years old to know what that means that, that you really just have to just throw them in and then have them find it. And once they can find it, if the teacher knows how to bring that out, then they could see what was chaos coming together as a, as a road that they know how to navigate. Right. I don't, I don't advocate teaching these words in advance. I advocate teaching it to them as they come up in the Gemara. Sure. So you, have a, you have a list, but you don't look at it yet. As you come to that word in the Gemara, you say, okay, turn to indicator sheet number one. It's, it's word number three. It says itmar. What does itmar mean? Itmar, it was said, it usually introduces a machlokas between Amarayim. Okay? Okay, boys, now we know what's coming up. Right? Right. So, that, so, so, what, what, so, so you really need to, uh, as we're zeroing in on our prototypical decent Gemara Rebbe, a good Gemara Rebbe, a great Gemara Rebbe, we want them to be able to uh, be comfortable doing this. Uh, and, 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 and talk to me a little bit about why you might find that sometimes a struggle. Why wouldn't a teacher want to introduce these keywords? Why wouldn't they naturally want that to be the primary focus? What, what, what are they trying to sometimes uh, you know, fight back? I know what the answer is, because we've talked about it before. But what do you find sometimes when you find teachers who aren't doing this? What, what's the reason they, they're not doing this? There are some rabbeim who really would, don't want to be elementary school rabbeim. Their dream in life was to be Russia yeshiva or magid shiurim on a base medrash level or at least at the masifta level, a high school level. And being in an elementary school is really not what they're looking for. And as a result, they're trying to teach at the level that they wanted to teach in their dreams. They're not getting into the mindset of a 10, 11, 12, or 13-year-old boy and seeing the Gemara through his eyes. That's the problem. 
after you learn the Gemara on your own, at your own level, you have to be able to look at the Gemara through the eyes of your students. And this is what your students need. It's not a question about what I want to get out of the sugya. It's what my Talmudim are going to get out of the sugya. So some rab- those Rabbeim who can't make that adjustment shouldn't be teaching at the elementary school level. I would say that that point can be true on a high school level and even on a base medrash level, um, because knowing your audience, as we said a couple of minutes ago, is so crucial. And I think that type of frustration uh, rears its head with, like you say, Colo guys who had to take a job at elementary school of AM, and also who took jobs in high schools or high schools that weren't necessarily Philly or Tells uh, Riverdale. Um, and even those schools, I guess you have to really sometimes hold back. So I think what you're saying is, is, is crucial advice, and it's really owning up to the reality. And sometimes it's hard because unlike the last time we spoke, we spoke about the professionalism that you demanded from your English staff. And those teachers, remember, we talked about last year how the type of schooling they came from, the type of pedigree that they had. Many times your teaching pool aren't those guys, right? They aren't, they didn't take educational, they didn't take courses in education, right. did they? Right? No. Sometimes what brought them there in the job was either they weren't able to continue in Colwell, uh, right. frustration with something else. And, and, and that, and, and, you know, in, in some ways it's sort of endemic. Uh, it's an endemic problem in, in many, many schools that, um, that, that these rebellion come there and we, we discover maybe that's happened in some of the schools you've taught at or schools you've observed um, where you have teachers where you can tell you talked before about teachers who aren't following Nas there, but you also have teachers who are frustrated and can't overcome this dream of who they think they are. Right. Does that happens sometimes? Yes, it does. And such a person has to learn how to be honest with himself and look into something else. There are other things people can do who have a yeshiva background. There are some people in Chicago who were very successful in Kolo, and they didn't make it as Rabbeim. They went into other things. Some of them went into Kashras. They went to work for one of the conscious agencies, and they were very successful. Teaching is not everybody's thing. Being a Talmud Chacham does not mean that you're going to be a good Rebbe. It definitely helps, but if you don't have teaching ability, being a Talmud Chacham is not going to make you a good teacher. Or they could be honest with themselves, and because if if they are a good Bali but they, but they need to just accept that they are teaching 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. Yes, yes. Then, and, and, and understand and, and come to terms with that they're not Roshi Koiro, right? Roshi Habura, you, you could probably get through to them. Yes, you can. And then they can make very successful Rabbeim with the proper training. See, that, that's something that we've come to realize now that was not true when I went to school. It was thought to be a doctor, you need training. To be a lawyer, you need training. To be an accountant, you need training. To be a rabbi, you, know how to, you need to know how to learn. That's not enough. Rabbeim have to be trained. There are certain skills that can be imparted to them through master educators. But if, they don't, if they're not willing to undergo the training, 
then they're not going to make it. Very few people are naturals who can just walk into a classroom and masterfully give a lesson without having had any professional training. Where, they, where in the Haredi system, where are they going to get that training? We know that in uh, schools like Yeshiva University and others, uh, that, that's part of their educational, their pedagogical courses that they take. But in the, in the schools, um, the, the Haredi schools, they're looking yes. for the Nitaira because they're Hasbashalam, a person you know, who, isn't, who doesn't symbolize you know, their ideal of Torah, the board wants to make sure they have that type of person, the principal type of person. But where's the training going to come from? So if it's not the truth is that Torah Masora is doing a very good job now of doing this. They have a program that they run in Lakewood called Aish Dus. I know very well the person who's in charge of it. And it's meant for, it's meant for Kolo Yungalite who see Chinuch as their future. And they sign up for a year-long training session. One of my sons went through it. It's very rigorous, and they have many professionals um, in Chinuch speaking to them, as well as psychologists, child psychologists, and they take courses at night where they are taught how to teach. And then they have to do student teaching under the observation of a supervisor. And at the end of the program, they're given a certificate by Torah Masora. This is one way of getting the training. In a city like I, I Chicago, to go ahead, I yeah. I'll tell, tell you that my brother, um, who went through this in 1974, I believe, so there was an age dust in Brooklyn that I remember he went to. But I think even though that the age dust program has gone through changes where they have also learned how to download more professional methods. Of absolutely. I think so. Absolutely. When I was undergoing my training, I didn't just hear from Tamir Chachamim or Abayim. There were psychologists, there were educators who spoke. You can learn a lot about education from a person who knows nothing about learning. There are certain universal concepts of education that can be applied to any knowledge that you want to impart to somebody else. So yes, it, it, the, the training, training can't just come from Rabbeim, it has to come from professional educators as well. How to present the lesson, right? I had training from a, a fellow, his name was Dr. Uh, Stakowski. Not, he was not a Jew at all, but Tormasor used him very much because he, he was able to break down the elements of a lesson. How do you present a lesson? What's the, you have to have an objective to the lesson. You have to have a way of introducing the lesson. You have to have a way of teaching it them and then check for understanding. Just because you taught something doesn't mean they learned it. There's a way that you have to, after a lesson, or the truth is even during the lesson, pause at various points and get feedback from your students to see if they absorbed what you're teaching. These are universal educational tools that can be applied to teaching Gemara or teaching any, any subject. And, and Rabbeim have to have that. They have to see teaching as a profession that, that needs training. And, 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 and it's, it's incumbent, you would probably say, on schools only to uh, deal with possible employment for Rabbeim that have gone through it. And if they don't have their teaching certificate, that should probably be a reason not to hire the person. Would you say that's true? 
Unless he's, he's doing it concurrently, yes. Depending on whether the school can wait until this person has that training. Yes, it definitely the person should have the training before he begins the job. But the truth is that even while you're teaching, it's, it's helpful to have training. Because once you begin teaching, then you begin to see areas of your own weakness, if you're honest with yourself. So in Chicago, we have, they have dissociated Tomatoros. I know that you're familiar with that, which is under the not leadership. I'm familiar of, with it, but I also, I, not only am I familiar with it, but I was a teacher for many years, and I took the courses while I was teaching. Exactly. To, uh, so it's, it's right now it's being run by our good friend, Rabbi Shimon Muller. And our Rabbeim are required during every school year to, ascend, to attend at least four sessions by, uh, by the, given by the ATT in various uh, areas of education. In order to retain their positions in the school, they have to take at least four sessions every year. So there is ongoing professional development. That's what it's called. Professional development in every Rebbe, no matter how many years of experience he has, has to undergo the training. So in other words, Rabbeim have to see themselves as constantly growing. Nobody is a finished product. Every person can learn more as he goes on. And like I said, once you begin teaching, if you're honest with yourself, you notice the areas where you can use improvement and use polishing. You know, I, I do want to throw you two curveballs because I told you Go ahead. I'm going to. I'm going to throw this curveball here. Um, and, 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 you know, I've been teaching Gemara for a long time. I've been teaching Gemara for, for quite a bit of many years, you know, for 40 years or longer. Um, and I give it to me every night. And, and, it's, 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 and I've taught high school and elementary school. I've taught Gemara on, on all levels. And I agree with you that the Milos Manchus are, are, are extremely important. And, I, and, and you know, there's, of course, there's Gemara Brura. And there's all these different uh, methods of color coding um, uh, that 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 are also being done in many schools. I don't know if they're being done in, in all the Beis in the first three where no. you are, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. There's a computer. There's a computer uh, program uh, called uh, Gamora Brura, which yes. actually highlights the different parts of the learning. And I, I, I've heard pushback from some from Haredi educators. Because it's sort of like you end up, uh, it's not the exact way the page has been put down. In other words, when the students color code which section, you know, they use the computer to figure out this is where the question is, this is the kasha, this is the therapist, this is, this is an explanation, um, it, and, and, which really lends itself to um, uh, not necessarily looking at it as this highway that's going in five different directions. In other words, what I'm saying, Prime, is that like, when you take a look at the, uh, the original Steinfeld Kamara, that where it was put into paragraphs with Nikudas, with punctuation, it's true, we know that the classic Lamdonim for hundreds, of, for hundreds and hundreds of years since the printing of the Gemara and thousands of years since the, the, the Shasas was, was circulated was all done without any punctuation marks, without any stops. But perhaps things are not so terrible if the Gemara would be that way. In other words, the, the amount of mental energy that we expend in reading it blind and realizing where the stops and starts are, 
which which is what we which is so much of the tenth the uh, the ten and eleven year olds are learning. If we if we streamline the text and turn it into something easier to learn, we 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 could we could then devote ourselves to more uh, uh, thinking thematically and intellectually, are we starting to think intellectually about the ideas contained? And we wouldn't necessarily spend, we wouldn't have to spend so much time on just getting the reading done. And okay. I know that, yeah. So here, here's my answer to that question. You're right that theoretically, such a system would work better. And there, I don't see anything wrong with using it at the elementary school level, but we have to realize that we're training these boys to go to Yeshiva Gadola, and the Yeshiva Gadolas are not doing that. They expect that when a boy goes into ninth grade, he's able to use a regular Gemara without any punctuation, without any uh, nakudos. So we have to get them ready for that, because when they go for their far hairs, that's the way they're going to be tested. <laughs> Right, and we, we have to live in the real world. In order for them to make it yeshiva, they're going to have to learn how to use a gemara without punctuation, without the kudos. So yes, we can use these tools in elementary school as long as by the time they graduate, they're able to use it. We we'll do it without it. Now there is a certain gemara that's made. I've heard of it, tuvia gemara, whatever it is, where where they where they have they ha- they have both. They have it with right. punctuation, and then you can flip it over and see the text without it. So we, we have to know where we're headed. I don't we're, I don't think we're going to be able to convince the Yeshiva Gadolas to be using Gemaras with punctuation and dots. I don't think that's happening. You know, I, I would I would I, again from where I'm at, and you know, I'm not just a, you know a, a college uh, um, you know, intellectual here. Right. I just direct the pot. Right. 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 I actually I I actually believe that. We probably turn many people off that way because there are certain students, especially in today's world, that they don't have the concentration abilities of, of, of previous generations that say, I just don't get it, and they walk away. Whereas if we would make it easier for them and they wouldn't feel like a pariah using these type of gemaras, then they, we could probably get them to think analytically about the real issues that the Gemara is dealing with. The, the, You're right. Is the reason? You what are is definitely the right. You're right. If we could get the whole world to use Gemaras with Nakudos and punctuation, and the truth is I don't see why not, personally, but th- then yes, that I would agree with you. Um, again, we're going into a little bit of a different world, but remember when we were young, hardly anyone, the Kalman Shah, who was, oh, look, the Rashis are now uh, bold. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're not using Gemaras that were used. My, my, my chas and shas doesn't have bolded Rashis. I don't have the Hagos Fitzuyunim on the side of my page like, like I have in, in my Ozvahadr Gemara. Right, changes have been made. Right. And those, and those changes, we, we, in other words, you could take a Lamdan today who can't find the Debra Masa Rashi, and some exactly. Rashi from 100 years ago would say, what, you can't find the Rashi? What do you mean? You need to have it bolded, right? Right, so exactly. Really, 
I, I really think it's a matter, I think it's really a matter of degrees because, you know, having things manukas, the truth is, you know, Tuvia in fact talked to me about it. Tuvia Rotberg was a friend of yeah. mine. And he talked to me about when he was working on the Gemara that was being manukas and there were certain ways to pronounce it in the yeshiva world, which were incorrect. Like the Michael Mithligi is really the Michael Mithligi, right? But, right. But the yeshiva way of saying it is the Michael Mithligi. So right. um, he asked, he asked these Rabbanim and Eric to throw, well, how should I be Menachem this? How, how should I put the Nakudos in? Cor- yeah. The correct way to say it is, what are they arguing about? The Michael Mithligi. But, right. but, but the, there has become a Lithuanian yeshiva way of mispronouncing. It's yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we have that. Well, see, Art Scroll has made some changes in that. Art right. Scroll, has, if you ever look at the Art Scroll, the English side, they some of the words they have are not the way they're pronounced in yeshiva. Yeah. Some are, some aren't. My job is to prepare them for what their expectation is going to be in yeshiva. So I have to train them <clears throat> to read Gemara without that. <clears throat> I agree with you in theory, but Lamaisa, my job is to be in the here and now, right? I got to, I got to prepare my boys so when they reach ninth grade, they'll be successful there. We're not going to, but it's unfortunate because I, you know, in my one of my other jobs, I was, I'm already in yeshiva for students who haven't made it in the system, and so much of their complaint was that they could never get over that hump. And they might have been able to had we given them the tools. I agree with you. I agree with you. And there's more than that. It's more than being turned off to learning, Abramel. Right now, guys are going off to Derek for that. I have a son in Lakewood who works with these type of guys. In today's uh, yeshivasha world, if you can't learn Gemara, you're a loser. Right, and it's, it's, unfor- it's, unfor- it's unfortunate that you know you're right. We need modern methods. We need modern me- methodology. It's, it's it, like I say. It's, it's too. It's, it's, a, it's sometimes it's tragic, and I've seen these students as well because when they were in our yeshiva, they were one step away from not keeping mitzvahs. Many of them of the students that I've had, um, I know, uh, were texting on Shabbos and doing other stuff like that. But their parents were sending them to our yeshiva. But I could tell what their problem was when I tried to sit down with them right. and try to, to analyze the Gemara with them. All right, okay, right. Look, let's get let's get back to the to the, what's happening now, despite its, its shortcomings. Okay. You say that you say that you you know you you you, you need to uh, impress upon your teachers how they have to uh, stay within the framework. Uh, now, clearly, uh, as I was saying before. The, the logic, the, the reason why the argument is won by Abai in this case, and not by Rova in Yeshua the reason why the proofs are, are, are strong or not strong. This is where uh, the essence of analytic thinking is, right? The difference yes. between the Lamdan and just the proficient reader. So yes. where does, how, does, how does that element come in? The, the okay. So, okay, so I, this, is, this is the way I teach Havana. <clears throat> I don't want my Talmudim to just sit there and listen to me. I, I want them to challenge me. Therefore, if there's any shverkite, if there's any difficulty in the Gemara, I present the Gemara in a way that they will guess it. 
I want them to be mechaven to Tosis Kasha or to the Ritvas Kasha. So if there's a, if a difficulty in the Gemara, I will read the Gemara in such a way that it'll stick out, that they'll want to raise their hand and say, Rebbe, but what this? What about this? And then I got like, excellent, great. This is Tosis Kasha. You train them to think. I tell them, challenge me. Don't just listen to me. I want you to listen to me. But if there's anything that bothers you, Raise your hand and ask. You want them to, to, to be trained that when you learn Gemara, you're constantly trying to understand. Don't fool yourself and to think you understand something if you don't. Don't be afraid to ask. So that's what I do. If there's a, if there's a, a problem with a Mishnah or a Brisa, that something we don't understand, I'll emphasize it in my initial teaching in such a way that the difficulty stands out. And that's how I get them to think. And that creates a tremendous, first of all, that creates excitement in learning. Sometimes I have like a real base medrash atmosphere going on in my classroom. I had last week, I had a situation where I taught a piece of Gemara and I said, boys, there's something difficult in this line of Gemara. Who can tell me what it is? And half the class thought of it. It was Tosis Kasha. One boy thought of Tosis first tarot. One boy thought of Tosis second tarot. I said, excellent. Genius. I mamish, I compliment that you should see the smile on the kid's face. That creates an excitement for learning and a desire to learn. So it's not just rote learning. Getting them to think is an important element. Now, now, we, now we've really been stressing what you try to impart to the rabbeim, to the yes. people who have those jobs. Now, so can this skill be given over, you think, easily? to a Rebbe, to give them the type of, like, as you say, reading it in a certain measured way to have them anticipate what's wrong. This is yes. something, again, that you need to try to train your, your teachers, your Rebbeim to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to train them to, to make kids think, not just to lecture, but to, to stop. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. 100%. That's what you need to do. Right. But what I'm saying is I know you can do it. The question is, are you able to impart that to the staff, the other Rebea? I know that you're... You know, I can I model it. I model it for them. I'll take a piece of Gemara that they are teaching, and I will say it over to them in a way that the difficulty stands out. I can model it for them. Right. That's so the best way to do it is staff. by modeling it. I'm not in front of a class, in front of them, one-on-one. I understand. Even, even one, if they can observe me teach, it's even better. But otherwise, even one-on-one in, 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 a, in, my, in an office, I can take a few lines of Gemara and tell them this is the way I would present it. What I found, and again, we have to enter the 21st century. What we can do is actually have the staff Watch a, a video of you or any successful yes. Rebbe teaching, yes, and yes. being able to stop it, stop the video. Look yes, exactly. Yes, stop the video and, and say, happens. "What did I just do over here?" What? Yeah, there are such videos that we show. Yes, and that is really the best way. And 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 of course, it has to be done in a way. I'm sure you agree that the that the that the Rebbe who's being, you know, uh, shepherded along doesn't feel that they're under duress or being criticized, but they're actually being shown something that they could 
like you say, emulate and model and be part of, and maybe even wonder if they could do it differently. I mean, that's something that's... Yeah, well, every person has to teach according to his style. You can't copy somebody else. And, and this is something that I was taught that I teach the Rabbeim and English teachers. When you attend a professional seminar, let's say you're a lecture for an hour about teaching. If you can come up with two or three ideas that match your personality, your teaching style, then you're doing well. You don't have to accept everything that someone else says, it has to fit you. But if from every session you take out two or three good ideas, after a while you've got many good ideas. Right? I know one of the, for sure. I know one of the things that you've you mentioned to me before we started recording was the idea of, of, of modeling to the students Abasatira and yes. a brand. Exactly. Now, yeah, now that, about let's how, talk about how, that. How, how, especially a Rebbe has to be a person. About, uh, yeah, a Rebbe has to be a person who loves learning himself. If he doesn't love learning, and in fact, I've met Rebbeim who've told me they don't like learning themselves, they shouldn't be teaching. Talmudim have to see the love of learning coming across from the Rebbe in, his, in the way he presents. You have to, if you're teaching Gemara, you have to be alive. You have to, you have to learn with a brand. Like when we were learning Bechabrusa, the way we learned, you, you have to show the Talmudim that you love learning. And if you're enthusiastic about your learning, that'll rub off on your Talmudim. I think you know, recently I was observed, Reverend Shimon Muller um, comes around to our classes. He still observes every Rebbe in the system. He came to my class a few weeks ago, and he, his comment was that he was impressed with the high energy level in the class on the part of the rabbi and had to tell me to, part of the My excitement in the learning rubs off on my Talmudim. And that, that's the way it has to be. I, I think one of the challenges of Ephraim that Rebbeim might have is that even though they we're excited, but especially if they've been doing it for 35 years and they've been teaching the same Amafkid or whatever it is. And that's been now on one end, they are the world's experts, perhaps, in in these ten <clears throat> blot of Gemara and Bavamatia. On the other hand, some of them might be saying, you know, either they're mailing it in or they become tired of doing it year in, year out. It is difficult to uh, retain and maintain that type of enthusiasm. You have to have a special type of personality <clears throat> to be able to invest it in such a way. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. I teach Hamafkina. I taught Marcus for 28 years, and every year I had insights that I didn't have the year before. And I'm sure it's the same in your own learning. I don't rely on last year's learning. Every year I prepare again, and every year I see more in the sugya than I saw before. That's Torah. There's no end to Torah to the depth of Torah. Right. Every year, no. I, personally, I don't have that problem at all. I, I can teach something for 30 years and still be excited about it. That's me. You can, you can that, but you understand that that's not everyone. Especially no, so such a Rebbe should switch. He should ask the Manal if he can switch to a different parak or a different Masechta. If that's what it takes, that's, then that's what he should do. Unfortunately, sometimes the, the Rebbe might discover, that, oh, no, no, no. 
Ninth grade or seventh grade, we do makas, right? Or whatever it is. Yeah, okay. So, you know, it, it, might be, it, it might be hard to turn over, especially if, if, if he's one of three uh, levels in the seventh grade. Right. It might actually be two other rebellions. It might be hard for him to go to you and say, you know, I'm just burnt out from, from, from you know, cake saving, nothing saving and item saving. I need something else. I've just I've done that year in, year out. You, you you might, if you would be the principal, you might find it hard to give them that sort of exception because you want the kids to all in that seventh grade. I understand. I understand. All right. So <clears throat> wherever you can accommodate, you can accommodate. But otherwise, a person who truly loves learning, in my opinion, can have that excitement anyway. I, I would just say it a little bit different. That the you should be ex- like Rav Michal, uh, Rav Michal Lefkowitz said. You know, someone came to him and said, "I'm burnt out," and he couldn't believe yeah. it. Right? How could you be burnt out? You have the greatest host in the world to teach young people. I think you need to be, you need to, you need to compartmentalize what you do for your students. The same way Shulchan Aruch says, you can't stay up late and and, and learn, you know, Zvachim and Tarek. Uh, if you are a uh, an elementary school rebbe, because you have to be at the top of your game, you have to be up and, and awake, right? So you have to realize this is your parnasa, this is your life, this is your avodas hakodesh, and and I think it's in that way you can compartmentalize. Yes, you're but, doing it the same way. As but more, but more than that, you have to love to teach. I understand. You have to love to love, teach. You have to, you have love, to love to, to see the, the, the excitement in the eyes of their kids, of their Talmudim, when they understand you. something. That's, that's part of it. I love to teach. I love to see the excitement in my Talmudim when I present something and they, they ask a kasha and they give a tarot. And, and uh, to me, that's, that, that excites me. So I could teach something 30 times on soul. A person who's that burned out, maybe he should look for a different profession. I'm, I'm honest. There's such a thing as burnout in, in Chinuch or in any profession. If you reach a point where you don't enjoy what you're doing, then it's time to do something else. No, but I think the key is, just to, just to emphasize it again, is to, is to realize that, yes, you probably use the same metaphor. You're using the same worksheet. You're, you, you, you explain the Tosfus with the same chaf in the Yesh Lomar, but you, you perfect it year after year, and you, as you see it working with this group, it should excite you because you can realize where that person was in the beginning of the year, where that student is now. Absolutely. Even though absolutely. Absolutely. Your own geschmack in learning has to come in a different part of your day and a different aspect of your life. This, as I said before, this, I think that's the type of dedication you're looking for. And that definitely is something that's, you know, sometimes difficult to find. Uh, I know that you've been, um, you know, you've been uh, asked, and I think correctly so, to uh, monitor uh, schools all over the country and to, and to give them tips and to give them some understanding. Now, I know you've, you've seen some schools where they've taken Rebbeim that have been very raw, and um, you've had to help them out a lot, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, and so you're right. So you have to give a Rebbe a chance. You have to work with him, train him. At a certain point, though, you have to make a decision whether 
he has potential, he doesn't have potential. If, if he's growing from, from the training you're giving him, whether it's over a year or over two years, then there's hope that you're going to be able to make him a good Rebbe. But after a year or two, if he's not getting it, if he's not applying the um, training year that you have given him, then it's time for him to uh, look for something else to do. Some people just don't have it. Being a Talmud Chacham helps to be a good Rebbe, but it's not a guarantee you're going to be a good Rebbe. So yes, there are times we have to let go of a Rebbe, and it's a very painful thing to do. It's like a child of a person's parnasa, but for the sake of the Talmudim, sometimes you have to make that hard decision. You know, what I think, again, Rav Moshe, of course, has truths about this, and not, I have to tell you, I have to tell you that the, the manal and don't necessarily follow Moshe's truva in this area, because I, I think that I think sometimes, you know, administrators like yourself have to sometimes think out of the box about, okay, maybe what we can use this person for is a different type of teaching, a different right. skill in the school. Um, right. Especially, you know, when, when you are talking about a, a person with a family, because remember, Rafraim, you or whatever principal is going to let go of that student, of that teacher, is going, and, and he's going, that person has not gone to vocational school yet, hasn't taken college courses, doesn't <clears throat> have a rich father in law or a right. to the nursing home. Right. So that person might be, he's not going to get the letter of recommendation <laughs> that he needs. And, and you probably wouldn't want to give a letter of recommendation to become a Gamar Rebbe in another place because he's not doing good here. <clears> but, right. but maybe there's maybe there's a way they can be shunted into some other area. Yes, there are. There are. Some of them work very well on one-on-one with students. Some of them can do enrichment. Some of them can do remedial. Some people don't have what it takes to teach in a regular mainstream classroom, but in a one-on-one as tutors, they're they're very good, but they don't have to deal with the discipline and don't have to deal with the multi levels in the classroom. Some of them can be very good. There are, and we've done that. We've taken Rabbeim like that and moved them to other capacities within the school. I think you just you just hinted to something which I think is very important. You know, you know, you. I'll give you a, a, a metaphor from basketball. You know, you can have a a, a kid who's out there in the gym and sinking free throws consistently. But you put right. him in the pressure of the game, he can't make a foul shot. Right. So I think you might you might have some of these uh, these uh, fellows who, because of the classroom management demand, especially as the kids become seventh and eighth graders, <laughs> they're not the docile fifth and sixth graders. Exactly. Right? They're the, the seventh and eighth graders who are all over the place and are pushing the envelope and as adolescents almost uh, trying to challenge uh, and, and, and push you, sometimes, as you say, they don't have the wherewithal and the ability to manage the class at the same time, keep their eye on the ball about the teaching. But you, you right. put them in a smaller situation, they might be very, very good. Exactly, exactly. Where they only have to concentrate on one student or two students without interruptions. Yes, they could be very good. And that's what we do. We move them into those sort of positions. Is it also possible, you know, as, as we've talked about the intense difficulty of teaching Gemara, 
you, say, you mentioned how you can definitely pick up tips from any master teacher and apply it to Gemara, but there is a unique difficulty about learning, about teaching Gemara and learning Gemara. Oh, so absolutely. These, absolutely. Well, first of all, it's in a foreign language. It's in Aramaic, right? So is, it possible that, is it possible that some of these, uh, and I, I, you know, I have Rachmanis because I, I've been dismissed from, from positions, so I, 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 I'm talking like the guy who's, who's, who's meeting you as a principal, and, and is it possible, oh, maybe they could teach in the Ramude Hall in some capacity. Do you find that that's, you know, is, maybe... <clears throat> yes, maybe yeah, yes, they could. We, we've done that. In fact, the best English teachers we have on the staff are the Rabbeim, because they're the ones who command the respect of the Talmudim. It's when you, that's a whole, whole different discussion. When you bring in an outsider, someone who's not from, or, or someone who's not that Jewish, that, that creates all kinds of problems. If it's a Rebbe, someone who's respected, and he has gotten a decent education himself, if he went at least had a, a normal high school education, he can speak English properly, and he knows some math, then yes, we can use him as an English teacher. That's, that's 100% true. Let's, but, let's, yeah. uh, let's wrap things up here with the question I think which so many people have, which is, we know that the, uh, the um, attention level of students has waned uh, dramatically over the last 20 years. Um, and whether they have uh, internet at home or smartphones, we know that uh, people have been in, in, our, in, in the 21st century are not used to the type of intense concentration that sometimes mastering a sugi takes. Yes. Um, and so it, what are some of the tricks that the that are necessary now uh, okay. to keep the, the, to the teachers? Okay. So first of all, what has become a very big thing in education in general is, is known as CFU, Check for Understanding. And I really drilled this into the rabbeim that I that I am um, working with. Just because you taught doesn't mean they learn. You have to break it up. In other words, I'll teach every two or three steps to the Gemara. We stop right away. We stop, and we okay. I, I have what I do is I have like an outline of the Gemara, and let's take notes. What's the Gemara's kasha? What's the Gemara's teretz? So that breaks, it's not just frontal teaching. There's a little bit of a break now from listening to me, and then you're they're writing down what we just did, the different steps. That, that way, first of all, it's, like I said, it's a break from frontal teaching, but at the same time, they get to see whether they understand or not. Then, and what I do is I never go more than like 40 minutes without some, playing some sort of a learning game. Now, kids love sports, so I created a game called Torah Baseball, which they love to play. And every single day, after about 40 minutes of teaching, we, we play this game. I have them divided into two teams. I choose two captains. They choose teams. And the way it works is pitching means asking a question on something that we learned of course, I have to decide whether it's a fair question or not. And there are no single doubles, triples, but a home run means you got the right answer. 
So first of all, that encourages Talmidim to pay attention in class. If anytime I come to some key point that I want them to listen to, I say, this would make a great question for Torah baseball, and suddenly everybody perks up. They, they're able to get out of their seats. They're able to, um, you know, cheer for their team in a quiet way without, of course, we don't boo, we don't make fun of anybody else. It's a break from teaching. It's exciting. It's competitive. Um, and they love it. That's one sort of game that I play. Also, every single day, I have another game that I call a tournament. Tournament means here I ask the questions. I, right now, I have um, 20-something kids in my class. I have them divided into seven teams. Um, and let's say I want to review something. So what I do is I'll, uh, I'll say to them, for 10 minutes, each one of you go into a different part of the room and review these sheets. And afterwards, I'll choose one member of each team to come to the front of the class. And it works like a spelling bee. I'll ask a question. If he gets it right, he earns a point for his team. If not, the question goes to the next boy, and he sits down. Uh, at the end, either I run out of questions or one boy is left standing. And you get points based upon how many questions you answered correctly and we keep going until either we reach 50 points or 100 points and then the the members of the winning team get their names printed in the weekly school uh newsletter that goes out again it's a break from regular frontal teaching it's exciting it's a motivator to listen in class so i play at least two of these things every single day that breaks up the lesson it's not the way we were taught in school but it gives them a chance to take a break and, and do something exciting and at the same time learn. So that's, I suggest that. I, I, I would just say, you know, it, it sounds great. I wish my uh, children would have had that. I know some of them had something similar to that, but yes. it sounds like you guys definitely perfected it, 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 and it works for you, especially. I think it works especially good in Chicago where baseball is still king. <laughs> there are other yes. cities where <laughs> baseball isn't a, people have sort of forgotten about baseball, but Chicago is still a, a baseball town, uh, despite uh, the prevalence of, of, of these other sports. Uh, one of the things I think that um, uh, is, is so important in what you're saying, uh, you know, we, I learned it a little bit different. You, you want to be the a guide on the side, not the sage on the stage. You want to be the person who is um, watching, guiding, and they are really learning on their own. In other words, yes. the Harusa learning, which we know, yes. Brian, you and I were Harusa for many years. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why you pick up the phone when I call to do these shows. The Harusa learning is really, in a way, as, 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 as just as crucial and sometimes even stronger than what they get from their rabbi. And, and we do the that. Harusa learning, what you're doing is really Harusa, uh, 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 the game, but it's actually... Yes. Together. It is, and, and I, I actually I do have Chavrusa time three times a week. In our new building, we have a base medrash, a beautiful base medrash, and three times a week, for 10 or 15 minutes at a time, I take them into the base medrash, and they hazer be Chavrusa. Do we do that also? So, and, and You're right, my games are like Chavrusa learning, but we actually have real Chavrusa learning as well. To train them in the art of learning with a Chavrusa. Again, it's a break from frontal teaching, and like I tell them, listening to a Rebbe, you think 
You know the Gemara. When you have to say it over to somebody else, that's when you really see whether you understand it. And, and, and I think also the, the fact that they have the worksheets that they, that you haven't mentioned that, but I'm sure you also use them in an inventive way. It gives the students, even if it's an, a worksheet on somewhat of an elemental, elementary level, it, it, it allows the students a, a sense of, of ownership, of bias, of agency. Um, and, and it's a material that the worksheet has helped them get familiarity on on their own yes right so, they they have they have a review of the entire sugi on this worksheet by looking over that worksheet that they they retain mastery over the sugi and even if it's a worksheet i think which introduces the sugi to them yes uh, on a, on a, yeah. uh, it, it, it means when they when they're there they feel they don't feel overwhelmed i think all of us both of us Sometimes you know, we, 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 both of us have attended Sheer Chloe's where we were just overwhelmed by the, the, the person coming in and giving them because we didn't have a stake in that. Right. That's true for 20 and 30 year olds. It's true for all students. It's true for people listening to podcasts. They want to feel that they have a stake coming in. They, yes. they don't mind being surprised. They don't mind being elevated. But they are they're in the seats there because they feel a connection to that. And that's we know that, as you say, the students need it more now than ever. Um, yes. The, the sense of, of, of ownership, connectedness. Um, and obviously, as you say, uh, uh, you know, you, you know, not only the skill, but also to to feel the Rebbe as someone who is their guide, their friend, uh, their model. I know that you've told me in the past how, despite the fact that uh, you're you have been a seventh grade Rebbe now for uh, I don't know if you want to own up to how many how many years is it now? This is my thirty third year, thirty third year. Thirty third year. I was off by two, but uh, almost there. Um, and and many of your original students from the West, they're they're now Magide uh, Shear and and Rabbeim, uh, other places now, right? Yeah, I've, um, yeah, and I've taught I've taught children of my original Talmudim. I have a few in my class right now. Yes, and, and, and that's and right. I, ha- I have. I'm very proud of my Talmudim who have made it in learning. I, I, I have uh, Talmudim who are Rabbanim, who are uh, Rashi Kolel, who are my Gide Shir. It gives me a lot of nachas. And I think they have. You don't have to just know that. I think they've come to you and told you how crucial you were. And what you were doing, and, and yes. helping them become yes. the people they were. Right? Yes, yes, and, and and many of them still call me and ask me for advice and ask me for my sheets so they can impart this to their own talmidim, and that's the greatest nachas of all. That's right. That's right. To be able to, you know, not to be territorial about it, but to actually, yes. to actually be yes. right. It's been great catching up again, and and you know, it's. it's and they were talking about sports. And they said to me, Rebbe, were you a sports fan? Now, I'm not going to lie to them. For sure, I'm a sports fan. No. I said, yes, I was a very big sports fan when I was a kid. Rebbe, do you still follow sports now? No. Why not? I said, when I got, when I got, early, when I got older, I realized that learning is what's important, not sports.
So I stopped following sports. End the conversation. I didn't place any importance on this conversation. Three months later, my wife is shopping in Cultiv. You know Cultiv, the kosher store on Devon. A lady comes running over to my wife. Mrs. Klatenik, you don't know what your husband did. My wife got scared. She's like, who knows what I did? So she tells her a story. This lady, her husband is a, uh, a Balchuva. Um, even, but he made a self-made man. He made himself into a Talmud Chacham. Anyway, she says to my wife that the previous Shabbos, they had uh, their father-in-law over. The mother-in-law wasn't alive anymore. They had her father-in-law over. He ate, he ate with them, the Sudas with them. And during one of the Sudas, he's sitting there talking to my Talmud about sports. More and more and more. And she could see that her husband was very bothered by it. He didn't want to say anything. He didn't want to insult his father. So he just put his head down. After about 15 minutes, the grandfather, with pride in his eyes, looks at my Talbot and says, I see that when you grow up, you're going to be a sports fanatic just like me. And the boy turns to his grandfather and says, no, Zadie. My Rebbe told us that when he was a kid, he was a big sports fan. We got older. He, he realized that learning is what's important. So when I grow up, I'm not going to be a sports fanatic. I'm just going to learn. And she said her husband got up from the table, went over and gave the kid such a big kiss. He was so proud of him. So she says to my wife, you see what your husband did? And my wife comes home and tells me this story. And I'm scratching my head trying to remember this. Oh, yeah, she must be referring to the time I, I talked to them about sports during breakfast. I realized what an impact a Rebbe can have on a Talmud without even realizing it. And by being real. Right, I could have taken the from approach. Sports, class, show them, trade. How could you be a sport? I made myself into a real person that the kid could relate to and emulate and see as a role model. And look what an influence I had on a kid. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's the I, way a rebbe has to be. And I, I would say, just to add to that, that that comes across even in formalized teaching, even even while you're in the lavush of getting into the ampas of the sugya, yeah. they can see that you're they can see that you're yourself. They can see yeah. the fact that you're my, they can see the fact that you're made that you don't have the answer. That you could yes. some question A hundred percent. Yes. And I say that sometimes. And, That's a great kasha. I have to look into it. I've been teaching this Gemara so many years, you know what? I never heard that, Kash. I'm going to do research. And then I go into the green book, and I look into the, 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 the bottom, of the, the back of the Masifta, and I come back, I say, great, I found someone who asked your Kasha. So, yes. so I think being a human being is something that you can convey uh, during your teaching as well, even with yeah. revealing things of your past and of your life, but they can see that it's yourself. Obviously, every Rebbe, in a way, has a certain mask of propriety, but even within that mask, they can see that it's not plastic to the point of being phony. 
They can no, and I joke people. around with them. I have a sense of humor. I, I, I can joke around with them and make things humorous. The cases I make up, I can make up funny cases. Yeah, you have to inject humor into the learning, too. Most of the bichlusas sometimes, right? It can't just be that they're sitting at the edge of their seats, you know, sweating. You know what I'm saying? There's to be a certain relaxed feeling. Learning is, is intense. They have to feel there's a comfort level between the Rebbe and the Talmud that has to exist. And, you're, and that comes you're across by being yourself, being yourself, not being a showman, being yourself. They're very important. Uh, yeah. That's a separate discussion. That, that, but that's, yeah. To recognize that, that sports and other things, it isn't, like you say, just complete marriage guys. It has a power, and it has a yes, reason it does. why and where people are infatuated with it. And I think when, when, when you own up to that, you recognize what they're dealing with. You yeah. recognize how, 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 how alluring it is and yeah. why you struggle with it and why they did. And yeah, also, and they also see, also, right, they see Rebbe is real. Rebbe was a sports fan like we are. And look, he still became a Rebbe, right? And right. You don't, you're, you're, not, you're not condemning them. I'm not condemning them. I'm not condemming them at all. I understand so that. I, I just said I when I got older, guy, I realized that there's things that I, are more I, important, right? I, I think I think the father who, stuck, who put his head down was sending a wrong message. This was fine. Yes, yes he was. Okay. Yes, he but was. Head down, but you, head I'm not going to mention who it is. You know the guy. I'm not even going to mention his name. Yeah, he, he sent the wrong message. He definitely did. He definitely did. He definitely did. Because that, because that, first of all, it's insulting to the grandfather. Yes. And secondly, it's, it, it, you know, again, you, know, you can sit there amused, right? We find that a lot of times. A person will open up your, 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 grand, your, your son and your father-in-law are talking about something. Oh, I'm going to open up a safer now because I don't want to hear what you guys are doing, you know? No, that you don't sticking do. Your fingers, sticking your fingers in your ear because you don't want to hear the lotion. No, that you don't do. That you don't do. But at the same time, there's through, through certain ways of chachma, you can also change the conversation too. You know, that's right. right. By being by being part of it, you can you can you can you know in a way say, "Wow, that's interesting," and then take that's it. very good. You know, but yeah. I, also, I, I just wanted to tell you, I, I saw a very nice part on the parsha. If you don't mind, I'd like to share. You can say that. You can, you can, you can, yeah, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right. You can you can. Move the conversation to it with a little talent without insulting anybody. Yeah, yeah and listen, a big Balmadrega, I believe, would 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 in his mind maybe think about a sugya, but at least Klappy Hood show a smile, nod their yeah. head. Yeah, 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 yeah. And meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile they're thinking about the Shilter of Achayzoi they did last night. <laughs> right, okay. and when when the Zayd is All done right. talking about sports, you say something else. Okay, a pleasure. A year, but. All right. Right. It's been great catching up again, and and you know it. It sounds like you're going to go for another thirty-three. That's what it seems like. <laughs> uh, and, 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 uh, well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> and Baruch, Baruch Hashem, though, along with your uh, continuing being in the trenches, I'm so happy that uh, the rest of the Torah teaching world is now going to you know you're you're you're, you're spreading your wings a little bit. And and, and and showing, based on your skill and understanding of how you can uh, develop other great teachers, uh, especially you know to meet the challenges 
uh, uh, of the century and beyond. So, Brian, thanks again. Well, thank uh, we'll, you, and it's always a pleasure we'll to speak to you. Yes. Yeah. Be another, well. <laughs> another on principle. Be well, everybody. Take care. Yeah, take, take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.